Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey. Good evening from Israel. Um, we are six days away from elections. Um, next Tuesday is our fifth uh, general election in under uh, two years. Um, and basically, this has certainly been probably the most unusual of, uh, of all the elections. First of all, because it's the first time that uh, former Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu is going to the elections, not as an incumbent, not as Prime Minister. And second of all, because, as I've said a few times, we had uh, the school holidays, the summer holidays, and then the Jewish holidays right in the heart of the election campaign. So really only... Uh, over the last couple of weeks as it really uh, you know, got into top gear. Um, but a week before elections, uh, just a word generally about a week before elections, usually according to every study that I've seen, um, people, most, the majority of people have already made up their mind on how they're going to vote. Um, there are obviously margins, but the most important thing of any party or any politician, anywhere in the world, uh, in the last few days, and especially on the day itself, is what's called GOTV, get out the vote, uh, ensuring that your supporters come out in large numbers because the difference between a party supporters uh, voting 60% uh, to 70% can be the difference between a couple of seats, which can be the difference between maybe going over the threshold or not, or maybe getting uh, enough seats um, to then uh, allow one block to, or another to have uh, the hallowed 61, uh, which is necessary to form a government. So what most parties are doing at this point is really trying to stress the need um, for their voters to go out. So it's less at this point about ideology and more about just convincing people you have to come out and vote. Um, in the last elections, uh, for example, the blocks the leaders of the blocks, and, and, and I would call the leaders of the blocks, obviously in the right wing, that would be the Likud run by Netanyahu, and in the left, it's uh, 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 Yeshatid run by um, um, Prime Minister Yair Lapid. Uh, in the last elections, both of them understood that they needed every party in their block to cross the threshold, so they called on their supporters to make sure that the smaller parties would receive the, the requisite vote. On the right, it was um, the... Uh, uh, Religious Zionist Party, led by Vitalik uh, Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir of the Otsmai Yehudi, which is a significant player within that particular list. And on the left, it was Labour Merits. All of these parties were flirting with the threshold, and if any of them would have gone under, that would have been a big blow to the bloc. So Lapid helped um, the Labour Party and Merits not only in the end get over the threshold, but Labour uh, did very well. I think they, they reached eight or nine seats. And uh, the uh, Smotrich's party went from, uh, you know, flirting with the threshold to seven seats in the end. So it actually worked out very well. Although obviously we know for the right, they, they didn't have the requisite numbers, 
uh, but it certainly worked out well on the left. The difference on this occasion, interestingly enough, is both of those two major party leaders are not doing the same thing. Uh, um, Netanyahu is not calling on his supporters for vote, to vote for, for example, Shaked, who has clearly said she's returned to the right, she would support Netanyahu, um, but she is not that close to threshold. Um, and it's a debate whether it's personal animosity, there is a history between the two, um, or it's a strategic decision, uh, maybe his advisor saying she's nowhere near um, the threshold, so there's no point wasting any votes on her. Don't forget, as well as the polls that we'll be hearing on the media, each poll, each party is polling vigorously. They understand where they're sitting. Merits, for example, has claimed that its internal polls show that it is much closer to the threshold, even than the, the official public pollsters are saying. And today they came out, uh, Zava Galon, the party uh, leader, came out and said that um, we could fall below the threshold and calling on Ben uh, uh, to stop swallowing up votes uh, from her party. Um, there's a debate whether it's a real uh, cry for help or it's one of these what's called in Israeli politics a gewalt move. In other words, a cry, you know, a, a fake cry wolf, let's say, but it worked last time for both Labour and Merits. This time Labour have been conspicuously quiet, even though they are also flirting with the threshold. Many polls have them at four, maybe at five. Either way, um, that's pretty close. And if either of those parties go under, then Lapid can kiss goodbye to any chances of being able to form a government. Um, on the right, uh, Netanyahu is not only not calling for uh, you know, any of his voters to vote for any other party, he's actually trying to regain some of the strength that he lost in the last month or so to the Religious Zionist Party, which seems to have been stealing, if you want to use that word, or taking a seat uh, pretty much every week. Um, Likud are now down to the low 30s, they're in the mid 30s. The uh, Religious Zionist Party is now, according to some polls, at 14, um, whereas they were in single digits not too long ago. So they're certainly gaining uh, strength um, at the expense, almost certainly, of Likud. Um, the interesting thing is if we want to have a sort of, if there is a Gaval moment on the other side, and usually it's led by Netanyahu, uh, whether it's the Arabs are voting in their droves, whether it's um, the current one, which basically says that, uh, you know, you can be the vote that gives me the 61. That's the posters that we're seeing everywhere. Again, it's not about policy. It's not about ideology. It's simply um, Netanyahu pointing out from uh, a picture saying, you know, you, it's it's in your hands. Um, that's that's where um, you know the the, the the party political met messaging is going. This week again, uh, maybe to preempt um, Netanyahu's gavald, which either you know is, is still to come, or perhaps they didn't create one because it'd be very rare that Netanyahu didn't control the agenda in the last days. Um, perhaps in advance, perhaps not. That's a debate that's going around Israeli politics. Uh, a recording was released this week of Betalos Motrich, the leader of the Religious Zionist Party, as I said, basically saying that Netanyahu was a liar, called him, I think, a, a liar, son of liar, a son of a liar, and his um, uh, promises that he did not negotiate with Ram. If we remember, there's still a debate today um, whether you know Ram uh, sat and supported this current government, 
and they were called terrorist sympathizers and NOS in the government, uh, was lambasted by Netanyahu throughout the last year as supporters of terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Romney de Mansour Abbas said many times from the beginning that um, he was offered um, just as much, if not more, by Netanyahu at the beginning. Um, but it was because of Smartrich that uh, uh, in the end, that particular deal did not happen. Um, and Netanyahu denied it many, many times. Well, here we have Smotrich going on record. We don't know exactly when it was from. We don't know the exact context, but basically saying that 100% uh, that Netanyahu uh, was negotiating with Ram, and it was him, Smotrich, who basically prevented it. And uh, Netanyahu doesn't have, you know, he's not going to live forever. He, his political career is not going to go on forever. And there's, there's a day after, which will make it much easier, et cetera, et cetera. The interesting thing is uh, Smotrich, who wasn't really being given too much airtime um, by the mainstream media, uh, suddenly was invited to every single um, studio of all the major networks, uh, where, again, interestingly enough, he did not deny his comments. He said that they were taken out of context and they were from a while ago. Um, and he apologized uh, for saying it. But the interesting thing in the mind of voters on the right will be, well, Smartrich basically admitted to what Netanyahu denied for this past year. So it's a very clever tactic, if that's what it is. Um, and usually these things don't come out uh, by coincidence. Uh, Netanyahu tried to take the high road by basically saying that he was uh, accepting the apology, but you shouldn't uh, shoot. Uh, there's, a, there's a specific term in Israel, you shouldn't shoot within the, um, within the same armoured vehicle. It doesn't work so well in English, but that's basically uh, uh, the point. Uh, and the, the fact is that it hasn't really stemmed uh, the religious Zionist growth at this point. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I think the, the final poll is Saturday. You're not allowed polls, I think, within 72 hours of the uh, polls being open. Uh, but that's usually one that really creates a lot of noise, because if a party is flirting with the, um, with the threshold, then obviously maybe some of its potential voters will come back, some of the undecideds, and there are quite a lot of undecideds, as one can imagine, uh, in these votes. Uh, moving across to um, Lapid, Lapid's tactics are basically to try and look as prime ministerial as possible. He gave a bunch of interviews today um, to all the major networks. And he basically tried to make the case that he's been a good prime minister and he should carry on. Uh, what became a little bit of a problem for him was earlier in this week, um, Israeli Defense Forces uh, took out uh, some members of a new terrorist, Palestinian terrorist organization called Lions Den, which has made quite a lot of noise, especially around the Nablus Shem area uh, in recent weeks. And has been reportedly behind a lot of um, uh, attacks. Uh, and basically the IDF took out one of its major figures, um, a member of Balad, which as we remember is part of the joint Arab list, came out and basically called them martyrs and it was a disgrace that they were killed and Palestine welcomes its martyrs. It was condemned almost wall to wall as one can imagine. And it was brought up uh, pretty much by every interviewer with Lapid asking, can uh, the joint list be a part of your government? And he said, no. Where he equivocated a little bit more was, well, can you can your government rely on them? What that means is similar to the situation with Ram, or maybe even a step behind is, if uh, Lapid does not get 61, if he gets 
let's say 57, and there's another four seats for the joint Arab list, I'm not saying they'll only get four seats, but I'm just giving this theoretical uh, example, then perhaps they cannot be part of the government, but they can sit outside and support the government and be given um, certain benefits uh, um, uh, because of this, uh, in lieu of this support. He did not deny that. Um, so that is what a lot of people are trying to jump on today. Uh, the other thing that happened this week with uh, Yelapid is he went to uh, Nazareth, which is an, uh, a predominantly Arab town, predominantly Muslim a town, really, and met with a lot of figures from the Arab public there to really try and get them out uh, to see if they'll come out and vote. Again, playing into that idea that he needs as many uh, potential partners, whether in the government or not, uh, to, to pass the threshold. Uh, as I said, the, the joint Arab list is polling low. Ram is polling low, both uh, he would prefer them to go over the threshold. There's the third party, um, which uh, just doesn't seem to be able to uh, even be close to the threshold. Um, Balad, I think it, it is, um, but he needs at least, he needs a high percentage of Arab votes. At the moment, according to all polls, Arabs are not going to go out and vote in as high numbers as they did a few elections ago. It's just been going down and down and down uh, in the Arab uh, community. And for Lapid to have, again, any possibility of any type of government, he's going to need uh, Arabs to come out. Because as I said, if one of the, party doesn't, one of the parties doesn't pass the threshold, then uh, it tips the balance and gives Netanyahu uh, a much greater chance. The final thing I'll mention, which certainly is coming up uh, even as we speak, is the concept of international intervention. Now, what do I mean by this? Uh, in the past, there's always been these rumors that the international community, led by the US and Europe, have wanted to intervene in Israeli elections, especially against the right. There was a famous example a number of years ago where it was admitted that Bill Clinton sent advisors to help Ewa Barak. Um, I think it would have been 90 nine, if I'm not mistaken, when he beat uh, Netanyahu. Um, and ever since then, there's always been this fear that there's international organizations. And there have been some um, NGOs which have supported uh, certain ideologies which are funded from abroad, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, now the talk of these elections on that particular issue is the fact that many uh, international figures have come out openly against any possibility of Batalos um, Smotrich uh, and Itabar Venkvir forming any part of the government. And as we know, there's a very high likelihood that Netanyahu will need them uh, in a future government. And we've had some senators from the US. Um, now we've had uh, a leader from the Emirates. We've had uh, British former ministers. We've even had a front page of Jewish newspapers around the world saying that they're a threat to Israeli democracy and they shouldn't be in any part of government. What my assessment is, is much of this is playing into their hands. As we know, the right wing uh, in Israel is very um, weary of the international community. It doesn't put much uh, place in it. It it's believes that most of the international community is against Israel anyway. And those who are calling um, calling out um, Batalov Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir are to a certain extent playing into their hands. And this is proven by the fact that Batalov Smotrich put out just, I think, about a half an hour, an hour ago, 
a statement basically decrying international intervention. If he wanted to keep it under wraps because it was hurting him, he certainly wouldn't be reacting to it. But the fact that he's reacting to it uh, means that it will give another layer to the story, especially here, and possibly engage his supporters and make sure, as I said, in those last few days before the elections, he rallies his base and gets out the vote as much as possible. So actually much of this condemnation could actually rebound and strengthen uh, that particular party in the days ahead. Uh, so with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, thank you so much. We've got quite a few good questions coming in. Anonymous attendee asks, what would you say are the top three issues on voters' minds in this election cycle? I would say um, the economy. Um, you know, almost daily we hear about uh, different commodities going up in price. Um, uh, you know, uh, mortgages are going up um, in, in the last few days. Uh, actually, gasoline is actually going down, but milk products, Ossem, one of the biggest uh, food products companies in Israel, have just uh, raised their prices again. Um, so that would be, uh, you know, probably the top uh, security issues we're hearing almost every day about um, attacks, um, attempted stabbings, attempted shootings. Uh, the IDF is certainly, you know, in Palestinian uh, towns and cities trying to make arrests, trying to break up some of these terrorist organizations like the Lion's Den, but also Hamas and some of the Fatah-related um, terrorist organizations or even Lone Wolf. Um, so that's probably uh, a, a, another issue. Um, but again, you know, it's it, there's not that much focus on the issues. If you look at the posters around the country, uh, you won't find too much about actual issues. You'll find about I'm the best person. I can help this person form a government. I'm, you know, prepared to sit with this one. You need to vote for me or else. You know, the, these are sort of messages. So again, you know, we, we've seen that mostly throughout the elections, but it's been very policy light. Um, but probably those two issues that I've said are probably highest on, on most people's minds. Thank you. And along those lines, what appears to be leading the gain in seats for the religious Zionist party from the Likud supporters? Is there any like definite campaign strategy that that's causing this? Or is it just because of uh, Netanyahu's original uh, negotiations with Ram? Um, no, not really. I would say it's more to do with the personality of uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir. If we saw the polls before the two parties came together, Itamar Ben-Gvir um, probably owned about two-thirds uh, of their current popularity. It's, it's difficult to say, um, but Ben-Gvir speaks to a large demographic in Israel who's fed up with uh, the security situation. They want to see a tough, tougher stance. They want to see an unapologetic stance. They like his brand of politics. They like this firebrand, non, you know, I, I'm going to say what I think. He has moderated his image. Perhaps that's helped him uh, somewhat. And the fact that the two parties together are running actually also helps. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. First of all, because if you have the two parties running, um, then you're going to have one side outflank the other. Uh, either on the left side of the right or the left side of the extreme right or the right side of the extreme right. But running together, they don't give too many other alternatives for right-wing religious supporters or even just right-wing supporters. The only other option really at this point is Likud. Um, and also there's a potential 
for the fact that they're running two separate campaigns, which is also quite unusual. Usually when two parties uh, uh, run together, they run one campaign, but Itamar Bingvir is very much speaking to his people, and Batal Smotrich is trying to speak to his people. And Smotrich understands that, okay, I'm not going to be outflanked on the right, so let's see if we can pick up some Shaked voters, let's see if we can pick up some Likud voters, maybe more religious-minded, uh, by claiming, you know, we are the only uh, party that cares about the Jewish identity of the state of Israel, uh, whereas Likud obviously are more right-wing secular or traditional uh, 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 political party. So there isn't that much. Sometimes in, in previous years, there's been multiple parties on the religious right. Today, there's only one, really. I mean, if you discount Shaked, who's below the threshold. So I think that's a big part of it. And just people are sort of fed up with the security situation internally and externally. Speaking of the security issue, uh, Ken asks, what, what exactly is happening to the Arab MK who praised the terrorists? Is he being removed from Knesset or or any anything? It's a she, first of all. She, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, she sympathized with the death of a terrorist, uh, didn't necessarily glorify the terrorist. I mean, you know, that's what I guess is the case that would be made. I mean, she obviously knew exactly what she was doing to try and rally her base and her party's base. Um, but uh, to the best of my knowledge, there were no moves at this point because, you know, there's only a few days left of the elections and usually it has to be other members of Knesset and they have to call the Knesset. No one's going to start calling the Knesset that everyone has to come and sit because every minute is vital at this point. Everyone's running around the country. No one's got the uh, attention span uh, for this. Um, so no, to the best of my knowledge, there are no moves. Perhaps there will be after the elections when there's a bit more time, but at the moment, no. Thank you. Carrie Hillebrand asks, uh, can you speculate as to what Netanyahu would give to the far right and Haredi parties to form a coalition? whatever he can <laughs> to form a to form a government. I mean, they've sat together in, in the past. I mean, there's nothing particularly new about uh, a potential religious right wing government led by Netanyahu with the two Haredi parties, ultra orthodox parties and the religious right. Um, what would be unique is having someone like Itamar Ben-Gvir in a government. And while he has said I would have no problem with having Ben-Gvir as a minister, as I've said, he's been uh, told publicly and many times also privately that that would harm uh, the international reputation of Israel to have someone like Itamar Ben-Gvir uh, in the government, um, but it could be a situation where he simply doesn't have any choice. Other alternatives are that maybe he could give Itamar Ben-Gvir a Knesset committee, which is less than a ministry, but uh, perhaps it's something that Ben-Gvir would enjoy more because you know, in certain ways, you even have more effect uh, within Israel as the head of a committee rather than the head of a, a ministry. Um, but it remains to be seen. You know, uh, I'm sure that the, the, the party will demand uh, in kind uh, a, a nice amount of ministries if it does get the number that the polls are indicating. Um, but again, one thing that should be uh, watched and, and is being watched by a lot of analysts is who's going to get more out of Gantz and uh, Smotrich, because uh, if one party or the other can give uh, Netanyahu more, perhaps he can go one way or another. He can go with Gantz. Gantz would ask for a very high price, and Gantz has said he won't do it with Netanyahu, but as we've seen before, 
there remains that possibility, or perhaps it could be another member of Liquid or Gantz could get first rotation. Uh, and if that happens, he would demand not to sit with Ben Gavir. So uh, Netanyahu would give up Ben Gavir. Perhaps even we'd see a split of that party. Maybe he'd feel more comfortable sitting with Smotrich, but not Ben Gavir. All these are permutations. And um, uh, the religious Zionists are certainly using this uh, as a, you know, as a get out the vote that, you know, we need to get more than Gantz. So Bibi has to turn to us first and needs us to get his 61 or even more uh, for a stable government. Understood. Uh, Ken and Elaine Leiter asked, President Herzog met with President Biden today. What was President Herzog's agenda and what was Israel expecting from the meeting? Well, it's, I mean, a lot of people pointed to the timing of it, uh, you know, only a few days before the elections. Herzog has been, President Herzog has been very um, disciplined in saying that he's going there to show, even in the lead up to both Israeli elections and midterms in the U.S., that it doesn't matter who's in power, who wins, uh, the strength of the U.S.-Israel uh, uh, relationship uh, will continue, will endure, will, uh, will even get better. Um, much of the conversations have been about Iran. Uh, Israel, uh, reportedly, President Herzog is bringing uh, information and evidence to show that the Russians are using Iranian-made drones and the Iranians are actually up to their necks in it with Putin and helping them even more than that. Uh, and also uh, to talk about the um, imminent uh, signing tomorrow at three o'clock Israel time of the maritime border uh, agreement with Lebanon. Uh, so these are some of the uh, issues. Um, there has been talk of behind closed doors. Again, this warning that uh, any future government should not have someone like Itamar Ben-Gavir and sometimes Bezalov Smotrich in it, but we haven't seen that played out. And President Herzog has been very careful to say that it shouldn't be about any individuals, the strength of the relationship, uh, how the international community sees Israel should be, that it is a democracy and, uh, and, and really towing that line. Speaking of the international community in uh, Israel, Rod, Rob, Rod Margolis asks, is there a point when Israel will sell the Iron Dome or other defensive weapon systems to uh, Ukraine? Well, I, I'm not a defense expert. And I, I don't understand the intricacies. What I have heard from people who do is it would be almost impossible to integrate Iron Dome into Ukraine. I mean, it took Israel years to integrate it technologically into a system. It's not just moving a battery over somewhere over uh, Kiev and, 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 and just letting it work. It's a very intricate, uh, technologically advanced system, which needs years to embed. And also the type of uh, bombardment that they're seeing is more from planes as opposed to rockets. Um, so it, it and I don't is, you know, was, was built very, very specifically uh, for a certain type of rocket attack from relatively nearby um, for certain, it, it, that's what I understand. It just simply, it, it simply be redundant in the uh, Ukrainian context. All right, thank you. Sorry, one more global question. Barack Korkmaz asks, what do you think about Turkey and Israel relations lately? Are we getting close to a new era of strategic or pragmatic stalling uh, as this continues? Stalling? Did I hear the word stalling? No, I think I think My things difference. are progressing. And Benny Gantz, again, remarkably, only a couple of days before elections, although probably it makes him look, you know, look good. He's going across to meet his counterpart. 
to the best of my knowledge, there are no agreements to be signed, but it certainly shows, uh, again, that the relationship is trying to get back on an even keel. It's not that warm relationship we knew from decades past. It's more of a, an understanding, as, as, as the question uh, uh, remarked. It, it's more on a pragmatic level. Turkey needs Israel. Israel certainly wants to keep Turkey on side because it's played a problematic role as far as Israel's uh, concerned in the past. So it, it's certainly a relationship at this point which serves both interests. Thank you so much. And Jack Wasserman asks, is there any public discussion of increasing the threshold to 5%, especially if there is an electoral deadlock? Um, there's always talk. There's always talk of lowering it, and there's always talk of raising it. Depends who you ask and depends what the agenda is. Um, the ultra-Orthodox party is always looking to lower it. Uh, other parties, Victor Liebman's party, Israel Beitena, for example, which actually did raise it, uh, which were the ones who raised it, I think, from 2% to 325 want to raise it even further. Um, so there's always talk about it, but don't forget uh, there just simply isn't the stomach for it. Um, the smaller parties won't countenance it because then they could be in far greater danger than they are today. And the larger parties need their smaller satellite parties to be able to form a government. So there's no great political interest with either the larger parties or the smaller parties um, to make it greater. Um, if anything, I could see it going uh, lower, but I think at the moment it's probably at a place where most most are happy with. But again, it could be that they'll change that in the future, depending what the needs are. Thank you so much. One last question, Marvin Klamalas. I tuned in late, but it seems that Iran's nuclear capability is no longer a hot topic. Am I wrong? It's. I mean, <laughs> for the defense establishment, it's always the hot topic, but. Six days before the elections, that's going to be the uh, the major focus. Iran's nuclear capability has not been an issue for these um, for these election campaigns, as far as I can I, I can see. Um, you know, Netanyahu every now and again has tried to raise, tried to accuse uh, Prime Minister Yair Lapid or former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett of being weak on Iran, and they shot back and said, "Well, the JCPOA was signed on your watch, so you know you weren't much better." But it's, it's not really a winner for either side because, uh, as I said, the right wing, uh, you know, the, 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 the current government would argue that Netanyahu failed in stopping Iran from getting where they are now. And um, it's, it's, it really has faded into the background. Again, the defense establishment are thinking about it every day. Uh, and as I said, uh, there, there are, Iran is one of the central points that uh, President Herzog is bringing up with um, in his meetings with the president, I think he met with the head of the uh, security uh, council over there, he met with the secretary of state. And so from an Israeli point of view, Iran is, you know, it, it, it's a problem, whether it's in Syria, uh, Lebanon, the nuclear, and also now it's help that it's giving to, uh, to uh, Putin and Russia against Ukraine. They know there, perhaps even they have a more sympathetic ear with the Biden administration. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We've come to close for our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time thank to update you. us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Danielle Plika discussing, is the Middle East being Qatarized? Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.